We are in Hebrews chapter 1 this morning, and we started our Christmas sermon series last week, and we're still in that today. We're unwrapping Christmas. And when you unwrap Christmas, you're going to find that Jesus is supreme. When you unwrap Christmas, you're going to find that nothing compares with Jesus. When you unwrap Christmas, you're going to realize that He is supreme over everything else. And in the book of Hebrews, this writer, whoever this writer was, he wanted us to realize that Jesus is supreme over the angels. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is better than angels. And that's what he says there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. And if you've got your Bible open, and I hope that you do, in Hebrews 1, 4, he says, having become so much better than the angels. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in angels? Now, the Bible talks about angels hundreds of times. The Bible mentions angels, but you know people really have two responses when they think about angels. One, people think sometimes too little of angels. That's one extreme, to think, to think too little of angels. But when you read the Bible, you'll see that there's an importance of angels. For example, angels met with Abraham in Genesis 18. Angels went to visit Lot and warned him about the coming destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You might remember whenever Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. The Bible says in Daniel 6.22, Daniel says himself that my God has sent his angel and he closed the lion's mouth. I think about how angels talk with the prophet Zechariah. If you read that book, you'll see how often Zechariah communicated with angels. An angel went to a man named Joseph one day. He said, you need to take your fiancé, your betrothed, Mary, to be your wife. And Joseph didn't want to do that because he found out she was pregnant. He thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And the angel said, you can take her to be your bride because she is a virgin and, was, and is with child by the Holy Spirit. Later, after Jesus was born, an angel came to Joseph again and said, you need to take Mary and Joseph and get out of Bethlehem and go to Egypt because Herod the Great is going to try to kill him. And you remember that shortly after that, Herod began to kill the children two years and under trying to get rid of Jesus, a threat to his throne. Then later, after Herod the Great had died, an angel came back to Joseph and said, now you can go back to Israel, which he did. So an angel is important. Then I start thinking about even further in the New Testament when we get to Acts. There's Peter and John who had been arrested for preaching the gospel and they were put into prison. And an angel comes in and he just he does a prison break. He opens the doors and let, let them go out. And they went back to doing what they were doing before, preaching the gospel. And that was in Acts 5. But if you read further in Acts, you'll read in Acts chapter 12 that the apostle Peter got arrested again for preaching the gospel. And this time he knew he was going to be executed. He was, really thought he was going to be beheaded. So there he was, you know, ex anticipating his execution at any moment. And there he was sleeping in the prison. And the angel comes in, he opens the doors, he's like, Peter, wake up. Peter's asleep. The Bible says that the angel had to punch Peter to get him to wake up so he could get him out. Peter thought he was just dreaming. And, and, and so we see an angel having to work with Peter, and he, he does another prison break. I don't know about you, but if I ever get put in prison, I hope he can do the same thing for me, right? A prison break. Now, the Bible talks about angels in great detail, but sometimes people think too little of angels. But then there's the other extreme. 
Sometimes people think too much of angels. Sometimes people worship angels. You know, have you ever heard somebody do this when a little baby's born? Well, isn't she just a precious little angel? Or maybe they'll say to little, about a little boy, he's just a, just a beautiful angel. You know, it's a strange phenomenon. As their legs begin to grow longer, their wings get shorter. You ever notice that? It's amazing. Sometimes as those little angels begin to grow, people change their term. Instead of calling them little angels, they refer to them maybe as little devils. You know, sometimes we think too much of angels. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40, it says this. There are also celestial bodies. You know what a celestial body is? That's an angel. That's a heavenly being. And then it says there are also terrestrial bodies. Terrestrial bodies are those that live on terra firma, on earth. That's us. We are the terrestrial bodies, and they're different. We're not the same. We are the terrestrial bodies that were made in God's image. Did you know angels? It never says that angels were made in God's image. It says that we, the terrestrial beings, were made in God's image. Not angels. And whenever Jesus came to die, he came to die for those who bore his image. He came to redeem us, his image bearers. Never says anything about him redeeming angels. You know, some people think that when you die, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to become an angel. Well, we don't become angels. You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3? It says that we, it says, do you not know that we will judge angels? We're not going to be angels. We're going to judge angels. That's what the Bible says. So you don't get angels' wings when you die. You know what you get when you die? You know, the Bible answers that question. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're not going to read it, but you can read it later. But in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, you don't get angels' wings when you die. You get a new glorified body. Doesn't that excite you? No more aches, no more pains, no more disease, no more infirmities. You get a new glorified body. You don't get angels' wings. Now, angels are important, but we should not think too little of them, and we shouldn't think too much of them. And so I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, and let's see what the role of angels are according to the Bible. The Bible asks the question, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Angels, by definition, are messengers. They are ministers of God. They are messengers for God. That's what their role is. They minister to us. They protect us. They deliver messages to us. That's what the Bible says. Did you know that the angels ministered to Jesus when he put on flesh and came to this earth? Do you remember the day whenever Jesus was driven out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Do you remember that story? Did you know after that event took place, the angels came and ministered to Jesus? In Matthew 4.11, it says this. Then the devil left him, Jesus, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The angels ministered to Jesus. I want to give you another date that you might remember. It was the night before Jesus was crucified. And there he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying. And the Bible says that his prayer was so intense that his sweat became like drops of blood. It was intense. And in Luke chapter 22, in verse 43, the Bible says, And an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. An angel came to his aid. 
Angels went to Jesus and ministered to him in his darkest hour. That's what angels do. They minister to us when we're going through difficult times. They minister to those who are going to inherit salvation. Now angels were present before Jesus' birth. They announced his birth. They strengthened Jesus when he came to this earth. Do you know there's another time we see angels present? The Bible says, after Jesus had been put in that tomb on the third day, the Bible says that there was an earthquake in Matthew 28 too. It says there was an earthquake and then an angel came and rolled that stone away. And I like the last part of that verse. He rolled that stone away and then he sat on the stone. Now I wonder why he did that. Because he wanted a front row seat to see what was going to happen when people discovered that Jesus was alive. He said, I'm not missing this. Maybe God said, you need to come on back. He said, well, God, can you just give me a moment? <laughs> I want to see this for myself. And there's this angel there at the resurrection. And sometimes you might look at the ministry of angels and you think, you know, they're pretty important. And if we're not careful, we'll be tempted to think they're greater than Jesus. Look at all that they do. And the writer of Hebrews wanted to make it very clear that Jesus is supreme over angels. Jesus is supreme over everything. And so he gives you really five reasons why Jesus is supreme. He gives us five reasons in these few verses as to why we worship Jesus. And I want to unpack them for you. And I'm going to kind of work in reverse order. We're going to start at the bottom of that chapter and work our way up. So the very first reason that Jesus is supreme is because of his eternity. In Hebrews 1, 11, verse 11, it says, They will perish, talking about angels, but you remain, Jesus remains, and they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak, but you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years shall not fail. What does that say about Jesus? He is eternal. He's the eternal God. Now, angels had a start date. They had a beginning. You had a start date. You had a beginning. You know, this universe had a start date. It had a beginning, and it has an ending. You know, there was a, a in 1990, our, our country launched the Hubble telescope so that it could take pictures of the Earth and the universe so we could gain more insight into it. And as it kind of drifted off out into space, it was taking pictures, and we were gleaning the information, or our scientists were, gleaning all that information from those photos. When 2016... Scientists said, you know, as we look at these pictures and we see what's happening, we realize that the universe is expanding. And, and, and not only is it expanding, it's expanding more rapidly than we thought it would. Now, what does an expanding universe mean? It means that the universe had a beginning and now it's expanding. That's what that means. So we know that the universe had a start date. Now, we didn't have to look at the pictures from the Hubble telescope to realize that, did we? Now, we just look at Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. We know that the universe had a beginning. But Jesus did not have a beginning. He always was. He always will be. Jesus is eternal. And so we worship him because he's eternal. He's, omni he's omnipresent. He's present at all times and in all places. Did you know he's present in the past? He's present in the present. And he's present in the future. That's what omnipresent means. There is no time with him. He is present. I don't know about you, but I kind of get excited when I realize this universe has an end date. Because that means there's an ending to some things. There's some, there's some ending to some violence. There's an ending to some addictions. There's an ending to disease. This world is temporary, but Jesus is eternal. So we know that Jesus is supreme because he's eternal. So that's one reason. He always was. 
He always is and He always will be. But we also know that Jesus is supreme because of His authority. Look at verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Now Jesus is the creator of this world. We talked about it last week. He created it. He sustains it. He maintains it. He has authority. As the creator, Jesus has authority over His creation. Now angels are created, but Jesus is the creator. Angels are created, but Jesus is the uncreated one. He created this world and He has authority over it. In Matthew chapter 28, 18, most of you know this verse. But Jesus said this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all authority. And that's why He's supreme. In John 5, 27, Jesus said this, He has the authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Jesus has the authority to judge this world, and one day He will judge this world. In fact, He even said this, If you do not believe in Him, you are condemned already. And one day He's going to judge this world. Jesus has the authority to execute judgment. In John 10, 18, he also says this. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down myself. And I have the power to take it back up again. You know that word authority in Matthew 28? That word authority in John 5, 27? And that word power... In John 10, 18, it's the exact same word. And it means authority and power. Jesus has all authority. He has authority over everything in heaven and on earth. He has the authority to judge. He has the authority to lay his life down and pick it up. Nobody else has that authority. Now, you can lay your life down, but you cannot take it up again. Only Christ has that authority. Now, Jesus, who came as a baby, was nailed on the cross, has all authority in heaven and on earth. He created this world. It has a beginning and an ending, and he will determine the ending. Jesus has all authority. So this morning, that we realize Jesus is supreme because of his eternity. We realize Jesus is supreme because of his authority. I want to give you a third reason. We believe that Jesus is supreme because of his sovereignty. He is the sovereign God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, he says, what does he say to the Son? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the King of universe. And look at verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than his companions. Did you know in the Old Testament, whenever a prophet was going to anoint a king, what would he do? He would take that oil and he would anoint him as the king. You remember how that happened with David. Whenever the prophet Samuel came and began to interview the, the sons of Jesse and he got to all these sons and he wanted to anoint the next king and then all of a sudden they said, you know, he went through all the sons, but David, and so Samuel says to Jesse, do you not have another son? He said, I have another one out there in the field somewhere keeping sheep. 
That's the only one I got left. He said, but surely you want one of these. Jesse said, no, bring him in. And what does Samuel do? He anointed him as the king of Israel. Well, the Bible says that the Father has anointed Jesus. He is the king of kings. He is the king of this universe. And Jesus' throne endures forever. Kings may come and go, but the kingdom of Christ endures forever. Now I want to give you a verse. You know what? You, you remember whenever you were growing up and you had to participate in the Christmas shows or Christmas plays, you memorized Isaiah 9, right? In Isaiah 9, chapter 6, it says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus is the sovereign king of kings. And of his kingdom, there is no end. Jonathan Edwards, I don't know if you remember him, but Jonathan Edwards was a preacher during the Great Awakenings. And Jonathan Edwards said, early monarchies that have ever been, those that have ever ruled over the bigger part of the known world, particularly the Greek and the Roman monarchies, they have come to an end. But Christ is an everlasting kingdom and His throne is forever and ever. You know, I like how Edward Perronet put it. He put it this way. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, what? Lord of all. He is the sovereign king. He is the king of kings. Let me ask you this question. Sometimes people say, have you made Jesus Lord? You don't get to make Jesus Lord. He already is Lord. The only question you get to answer is, is he ruling in my life? And the question that you have to answer this morning is, Jesus ruling in your life? He is already Lord. He is already king. But is he ruling in your life? So we realize that Jesus is supreme this morning because of his eternity. We realize that Jesus is supreme this morning because of his authority. We realize that Jesus is supreme because of his sovereignty. He is the king. He is Lord. But I'm going to give you another reason. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but Jesus is also supreme because of his deity. He is God in the flesh. We worship Jesus because of His deity. He has been given the name above every name. When we look at Jesus in the manger, we're looking at God in the flesh who came to live among us, to be one of us. We are looking at Jesus, God in the flesh. Now you might ask, well, how do you know that you know, Jesus is God? A lot of people don't believe that Jesus really is God. Well, how do you know that? Well, look at Hebrews 11, verse 5. He said, For to which of the angels did he, the Father, ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God do what? Worship him. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is not the same as the Father. He is different than the Father, but He has the same essence of the Father. The Father and Son are not the same, but they have the same essence. 
You say, well, how do you know they have the same essence? How do you know that the Father is God and Jesus is God? How do you know that? Well, I want you to underline this phrase in verse 6. Let all the angels of God worship Him. Let all the angels of God worship Him. You need to burn that into your heart. Let all the angels of God worship Him. You say, well, how does that prove Jesus is God? Write this verse down. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Exodus 20, verse 3. It says this, You shall have no gods before Me. Verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them, nor them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God says that we are to worship Him and Him alone. Only God is worthy of our worship. And we're not to bow down before any gods. But when you look at that Greek word, worship, in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, that word means to bow down and to kiss the hand. It really gives you the idea. Some of you are dog lovers. You ever had your dog, you're sitting down, he comes and licks your hand. And you, you're the master and he licks your hand. That's what that word means, that we are to bow down before Jesus and kiss his hand. That's what the angels are to do. Now, God is the only one to be worshipped and angels aren't to be worshipped. They're to be objects of worship. They're worshippers of God and they're worshippers of Jesus. In Psalm 148.2, it says this, Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His host. In Revelation 7.11, it says, All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God. Angels worship God. Because God is the only one to be worshipped. Angels are not to be worshipped. You say, well, is that true? Yes, that's true. You know how I know? In Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, the Bible says that the Apostle John was having a vision of the end times. You remember that story. And so he, he's standing there and all of a sudden he sees an angel. And the, and the Bible says that uh, John had a response. I don't know what, what he thought when he saw the angel. Maybe he thought, this angel is majestic. Maybe he thought when he saw that angel, this angel is glorious. This angel, maybe in his mind, he thought was divine. And in Revelation 19.10, John said this, I fell down at his feet to worship him. But the angel said to me, see that you do not do that. Because I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. And then he says this, worship God. That angel says, don't worship me. You worship God. That's who you're to worship. Angels are not the objects of worship. They are the instruments of worship. They are to be worshipers, just like you and I should be worshipers. Hebrews 1.6 says the angels are to worship Jesus. Now, if Jesus is not God, then the Father told the angels to commit idolatry. Because only God is to be worshipped. Now, one day, you may have a knock at your door. And you might have a particular person who comes to, to witness to you. I've had that happen several times. Maybe you have. I remember just right down the road one day. I was on my way home and I looked up. There was a person in my yard and I said, well, can I help you? He said, yeah. And he gave me a, a pamphlet. And it was from the um, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And it had a line on it. He was promoting a, some type of service that they were, they were having. And the title of it was, Find Out Who Jesus Is. 
And I looked at that. I said, this thing says I'm going to find out who Jesus is. I said, well, who is Jesus? He said, I'll let the Bible answer that question. He said, the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God. I said, oh, okay. I said, some people think that Jesus is God, don't they? He said, well, he said, there are many gods with a little g, and then there's one God with a big g. I said, okay. Now, I'm just making sure I understand. I said, let me ask you another question. Isn't there somebody in the Bible that um, didn't believe that Jesus rose from the grave, one of the disciples maybe? He said, you're talking about Doubting Thomas. I said, yes, that guy. Doubting Thomas. I said, wasn't it true that whenever he saw Jesus, that he put his fingers into his nail prints, and then he, did, he knelt down before Jesus and worshipped him, and he said, my Lord and my God. Now, would you say that Thomas, was he committing idolatry when he did that? Was he worshipping the God with the little g or the big g? Now, here's why. Because if he's worshipping the God with the little g, he's committing idolatry. And if he's worshiping the God with a big G, you've got a problem. Because Jesus is the God with a big G. And that's who we worship. And so whenever you have that encounter, you tell them, I know who Jesus is. And I can look right here in Hebrews 1.6 and demonstrate it. Did you know that the angel says, do not worship me? But no time did Jesus ever say, do not worship me. Let me give you some examples. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus is there. The, the wise men came. They brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the Bible says that they worshipped Jesus. The wise men did. Then in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, a leper comes to Jesus one day. And he wants to be healed. And the Bible says he worshipped Jesus. And I think about the disciples over there in Matthew 14. They were on the Sea of Galilee one day. And a storm came up. And, and they were scared. They were terrified. And Jesus calmed the storm. And they realized he has power over creation. And the Bible says they worshipped him. Then I think about in Mark 5, Jesus encountered demons and the Bible says they worshipped him. At no time did Jesus ever say, do not worship me. He received worship. And the reason he received worship is because he is God in the flesh. He is God, and so when we worship Jesus, we're worshiping God with a big G. Now, maybe some of you came to church this morning, and you came to worship. You know, sometimes people think that the worship is the music. Now, we've got great music, but that's what you came for. You're missing it. Because the worship is not about the music. And sometimes we get enamored by the songs that we sing, but did you know you can sing all the songs that we sing and never worship? That can happen. We can sing every song and never worship. When you worship God, it changes you. That's how you know when you've been worshiping God. You know, when you worship God, it moves you to obey God's word. And you can't really obey God's word if you don't know it. And so what's happening? When we encounter God, he's moving us to change. Some people can come to church and they can sing all the songs and ignore the word of God. You're not worshiping if you're not ready for the word of God. You know that's what worship does. Worship is the appetizer that gets you ready for the meat. And what's the meat? The word of God. There's nothing more pure than what's in this book. It is the word of God. Some of you come and sing and you don't worship. You know what authentic worship does? It leads you to a place of surrender. That's what worship does. You know what worship does for you? It leads you to a place of submission. You say, not my will, but your will be done in my life. Whatever you say, I will do. Worship leads you to a place of sacrifice. Jesus said, if you don't deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And worship leads us to a point of sacrifice. But you know, I think worship also leads you to a place of service as well. 
or you want to serve the king. That's what worship does. If you're not willing to serve, I'm wondering if you're really worshiping. Because worship leads you to service. I'll give you an example. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, there's a prophet named Isaiah. He's having a worship encounter with God. The Bible says he has this vision. There's God sitting on the throne. There are angels all around. And the angels are saying in Isaiah 6, 3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah's in that moment. And it's so intense. And he realizes, I'm in the presence of holiness. And you know what happens when you get into the presence of holiness? You realize how sinful you are. That's what, that's what worship does. It leads us to realize how holy God is and how sinful we really are. You know what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, 5? He said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And when you encounter God in worship, it makes you realize, I am undone. I am a sinful man, and that's what he realized. And the Bible says that the angel went and took some, some coals and he touched his lips. He said, your sins have been purged. And so Isaiah realized, I need to have my sins purged. That's what worship does. It brings you to the throne of grace. But that's not where that story ended. In Isaiah 6, 8, after all that has taken place, Isaiah has been in this worship experience, an encounter with the living, holy God. In Isaiah 6, he hears God say this. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? You know what Isaiah said? Not me. No, Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. It's like the little kid can't wait. Here I am. Let me go. Let me be the one. He wants to be the servant. And whenever you encounter God in worship, he moves you to a place of service. And we worship Jesus because he's God. And authentic worship will always lead you to surrender. Authentic worship will always lead you to submission. Authentic worship will always lead you to sacrifice. Authentic worship always leads you to service. That's what worship does. And so when we unwrap Christmas, that's what we're unwrapping. You know, I heard a story, I don't know how many years ago, about two angels. If there were two angels in heaven and God said to one or said to both of them, hey, listen, I have, I have the largest city. I need one of you to run. And I have the dirtiest streets over here in the dirtiest town in the country. I want you to go clean those streets. It wouldn't matter to those angels which one got which position. Because the joy is not which position that you serve, but the fact that you get to serve the king. It's about his deity. And if your worship is not leading you to those places, you might just be singing songs and not worshiping. And the reason that we worship Jesus is because He's supreme. He's supreme because of His eternity. He's supreme because of His authority. He's supreme because of His deity. And I want to give you one last one. He is supreme because of His identity. Look at Hebrews Chapter 1, verse 4 says, Jesus, having become so much better than the angels, he has by his inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The reason that we worship Jesus is because of his identity, who he is. He has been given the name that's more excellent name than all the angels. You know, the angels have names too, don't they? Now, we don't, Harold is not 
the name of an angel that we know of. But the angels do have names. And one of the angels that we know their name, we don't know all the angels' names because there's, they're innumerable. But we do have several names that we know. For example, Gabriel. You know that angel. That's the angel that God sent to a man named Zacharias while he was serving in the temple to let him know that he and his wife, who were elderly and childless, were going to have a son. And they were to call his name John. And he was going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And Zacharias was terrified. And the angel said, don't be afraid. And Gabriel was like, I kind of like this. Maybe he thought that was funny. But Gabriel got that responsibility. And then God said, I want you to go to another person. I want you to go to a little virgin girl named Mary. And I want you to tell her she is going to carry the Messiah, the Savior of the world. She gets that joy. And Gabriel said, I can't wait to tell her what's about to happen in her life. And Gabriel is the one who did that. Gabriel, we know his name, and his name means God is my strength. Now, Jesus is not just your strength. He is all-powerful. Then I know another angel. His name is Michael. We call him Michael the archangel. We know in, in, the, in, in Revelation that he's a mighty warrior. His name means mighty. Jesus is not just mighty. He is the almighty. That's who he is. There's another angel we know his name. His name was Lucifer. Do you know what his name means? It means bringing light. That's why he's so good at tempting. He portrays himself to be an angel of light. But the Bible, his name means bringing light. But the Bible says Jesus is not just bringing light. He is the light. He is the light of the world. That's who Jesus is. And so when we unwrap Christmas, we see the identity of Jesus. He has the name that's above all names. There is no name like the name of Jesus. Don't you like that song? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will what? Pass away. But there's something about that name. Have you ever thought about the name of Jesus? Have you ever thought about the power? In the name of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, God has exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That's the name of Jesus. In the very next verse, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth. That's Jesus. Has it dawned on you at the name of Jesus the blind received their sight? Has it ever dawned on you that the lame walked when they heard the name of Jesus? The diseased were healed at the name of Jesus. Demons fled at the name of Jesus. The dead came to life at the name of Jesus. There's power in His name. There's no name like Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is in the name of Jesus. There is no greater name. In Romans 10, 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's power in His name. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord... Will be, there's salvation in His name. You know, the name of Jesus has the power to save the most wicked person and make Him a new creation. 
The name of Jesus has the power to take a beggar, a spiritual beggar, and make him spiritually wealthy in Christ. The name of Jesus has the power to deliver. The name of Jesus has the power to take an outsider and make her a child of God. That's the name of Jesus. That's the God we serve. The name of Jesus can give a a dirty man a clean slate. It's the power. In the name of Jesus, I want to give you a song that we sometimes sing that really captures what we've been talking about this morning. I just want to read the lyrics to you. It says this, You were the word at the beginning, one with God the Lord Most High. Your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Christ, our King. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, but your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name. Death couldn't hold you. The veil tore before you. Your silence, the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you raised to new life again. What a powerful name. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name Above all, do you know him? Do you know him? Would you pray with me? Let me ask you this while you've got your head bowed. Have you called on the name of Jesus? There is no name under heaven by which we can be saved. Do you know him? Do you worship him or do you just sing about him? Have you encountered the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He changing you? Is He moving you to a point of surrender and submission and sacrifice and service? Maybe today you need to make Him your Lord. Let Him be Lord of your life, ruling and reigning. Or maybe today you just need to surrender and say, God, I want to serve you. I want to have an encounter with you. I want my worship to be authentic. Maybe that's what you need to come today. Maybe as you have encountered God, you realize that there's a stain in your heart that you need God to cleanse. Would you bring it? Lord, thank you for your word. I want to thank you for being the God who saves. I want to thank you for the power in your name. Lord, you are eternal. Lord, you are God in the flesh. You are sovereign. Lord, I think about your identity. There is no name above yours. I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit will work. Draw us to yourself. Help us to respond the way you lead us. And we ask it all in Jesus' wonderful, powerful, precious name. To every question.